Hello, and welcome to the Niche Podcast for Friday, February 27th, 2015. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we're here to talk about building apps that run everywhere using open web standards like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, REST, and JSON. This week, we discuss recent announcements from Pebble, Ift, and Twilio, and how they may portend the demise of the prevailing app store hegemony. (laughs) (laughs) Please stay tuned. The Niche Podcast is next. Hello there. Hello. How you doing? Uh, pretty good. Better than yesterday. Yes, me too. Yesterday was kind of every little thing going wrong. Mm. Well, we have that in common. <laughs> well, yours was, was every other person throwing up, but... Yeah, man, we had a stomach bug go through here like Charmin's March to the Sea. (laughs) (laughs) It was carnage. (laughs) It didn't sound sound pleasant. No. I think I've I've got a little bit of a head cold, but it seems to be very mild, not bothering me as much as normal, and I I attribute that to the diet, so. There you go. That uh, almost full vegan, big change. Yes, yes, the almost full vegan with the the occasional occasional latte. (laughs) Vegan-esque. Vegan-esque, yes. Well, I only do that about once a month or so. What, the latte? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's not bad. So let's see. We've got, I think, a really interesting show this week. Of course, I think they're all interesting. <laughs> kind of biased. <laughs> like, this week's show is going to suck, but we'll record it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this week's show, we're going to talk about something we find interesting. We think it'll be interesting. <laughs> um, cool. But first, let's do a little housekeeping. Okay. Um, was it last week we talked about Docker and Ember? Yeah, yep. So, uh, and thank you, dear listener. Do you have that guy's name in front of you? Uh, it was Richard something, I think. We had a nice uh, message from one of the dear listeners that um, said that we were on track with our understanding of what's so cool about Docker, uh, but it's even cooler, in his opinion. Um and he, he wrote a nice long email about it, but we're going to get into that probably on next week's show, which, by the way, is the 150th episode wow. next week. Wow. So we might have it to do something special. Robert Norris from Fast Mail. Robert Norris. Yes. Very good. And he, um, he pointed out that the cool thing about Docker is that, you know, it, I guess this is sort of obvious, but it, it just makes things be able to run anywhere pretty much, which, of course, is attracted With to very us. little very little configuration work on your part right and and the thing that he pointed out that i thought was most uh cool was that php you know first before php it was like cgi banning you drop pearl scripts in there and that you yep. know that predates me even and and then php came on the scene and the thing about php was that it it was everywhere that was the th- that was the reason why i didn't get into ruby when it started to get popular was that i was like there were a lot of hosts that didn't work on yeah, and that's the reason that I, I used Ruby for a while in 2007, 2008, and then went back to PHP for a few years there because I was working with a lot of clients that had shared hosting accounts and things like that, and getting Ruby to run in a shared environment was just for a long time and and still to some extent a huge pain. Mm. Yeah, so he he raises the point that it's it's not no big deal that uh, – that the Docker allows things to run everywhere, and he hastened to add that it's not just web apps. In he works, uh, you know, he 
uh, works for some sort of mail server company. And you can imagine the, the pain and suffering that you'd encounter trying to set that up on like some random host. Yeah. So, um, I, I, it feels like it could lead to an explosion of interesting, um, new applications that would normally be so hard to install on a host that you wouldn't bother doing it. Right. Because getting, getting the platform set up becomes no big deal. Right. If the, it, and as I've seen repeatedly getting ra- it's easier for me to just write an entire PHP application than to get rails running on a machine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to learning more about this, but that will, that will be uh, probably next week. Yeah, I took a quick dive into it, and there was a, a little bit of a, a learning curve at the beginning there. But I, I haven't got to a point where I would feel comfortable using it for deployment yet. But I managed to set up a local environment, and I had, um, you know, and I, I was using it for for more than just my web server. I had I had Ruby and Rails and, and Redis and uh, Phantom JS and Image Magic and all that stuff configured in Docker. Sweet, excellent. That that is awesome. I yeah, like yeah, yeah. We'll um, we'll definitely have to go into it in in more detail in a week or so. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, okay, more housekeeping. I want to let the dear listeners know that uh, early bird pricing for my mobile web development class I'm teaching online uh, later this month, March. That is, uh, early bird pricing is ending Monday night, March second at midnight Eastern time. So depending on when you listen to this. You may still uh, have time to go register for that on my site at jonathanstark.com slash leap for Make the Leap to Mobile. And it's an interactive class for web developers who are looking to get up to speed with things like responsive web design, CSS animations, touch event handling, uh, do some phone gap stuff in there, and uh, also a a full section devoted to everyone's favorite uh, subject, debugging mobile apps. So a lot of cool tips and tricks about debugging. Cool. Yeah, so... um, Yep, so save 100 bucks if you get to my site by um, end of day, March 2nd. Worth it. <laughs> Thank you. I think so, too. Um, yeah. Um, oh, I, I do have one more little housekeeping thing that I was going to spring, that I sp- I'll spring on you now because I forgot about it earlier. <laughs> okay. Um, if anyone out there is interested, I, have, I, I kind of decided last night that I think I'm going to open source ice cream. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of little, I got to clean up a couple of little things out of the repo that I don't want in there, so I have to do some some filtering on that before i open source it but right i think i decided last night that i just i want to do that so cool and for people who maybe didn't hear that show it's like an image process how would you describe it uh ice cream takes a lets you dump in a photo and then it'll do some image color analysis on it and, and extract basically lets you extract a, a color histogram of the most common photos and let you build a, a color palette Mm-hmm. Um, from that photo, and it gives you gives you the RGB values, the hex values, and generates an Adobe Swatch file. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, so you can check it out at uh, icecream.kellyshaper.com. Excellent. So we'll link to that in the show notes, and look forward to checking out the source. Maybe you can put it in a Docker container. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll include a Docker file. There you go. Um, all right, great. Um, that brings us to the bug report. Yes, this Ta-da. is a this is an, an intro, a fun one. <laughs> mm. So, uh, the dear listener will recall that we talked about a post message bug in a previous episode, um, 
And the situation we have is that there's a parent page with an iframe in it. And we need to pass messages back and forth. And they're on two different domains. That's the key point. Mm -hmm. They're on two different domains. So we have to use post message to pass um, information back and forth. And it's it's actually really cool. Uh, I, I like it a lot. We You don't really have a use case for it too often. But uh, basically what you do is in, in both pages, you attach a handler to the post or uh, on message basically you listen for a message event and when you so when the parent page sends a message to the other page uh, the handler is triggered and you can run some arbitrary javascript well not arbitrary javascript you run you run functions that were defined in the target page so if you if you think about that there's there's not you yeah, it feels kind of like a WebSocket, but it's not. Yeah, it is kind of like that. And it's not, and it, it 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 might be interesting to know that it's not taking place over the network. The browser's mediating the communication. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's the kind of thing that you don't need very, uh, I've never needed it. <laughs> no, I've, I've never heard of it until we did, until this. Yeah, but this is a perfect use case because we've got um, a bunch of fields in the parent window that people are filling out with information and we want the i the, the page that's in the iframe is a preview of like a, a microsite that's being created and uh, we didn't want that i mean you can imagine embedding those things in the same page without the iframe would be brutal because we'd have two competing style sheets it would be it'd be super awkward um, so we have it in iframe and that encapsulates the styles and everything else and it allows us to use the live code to to do the preview. So we know that the way that it looks in the preview is the way it's going to look on the actual site. Yeah. But we also didn't want to refresh the iframe every time something changed. Exactly. And that is how we originally did it. It was super clumsy and you lose your scroll position. And, you know, so we just basically wanted the parent page to be able to call JavaScript functions in the, in the child. So that's what we did. And we had a couple bugs or it was actually the bug that we had last time was sort of unrelated to post message. It was a jQuery gotcha. But this time around, uh, we got an actual post message bug. <laughs> yes. Very exciting. And it was and it wasn't so our weird. Fault. It was. Well, it kind of was our fault. Yeah. I mean, I blame myself. So, so in all of the examples for post message, the, all of the examples have, so like inside the message handler, they wrap the functions or whatever the, whatever the procedural code is, whatever it is, they wrap it in an if event origin so in other words the origin of the parent page equals the parent page origin then do this stuff and i'm like that is so weird like that's super redundant why would you of course it's going to be the parent like duh it's going to be the parent page why check for that so i didn't <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be the parent page until it's not it's going to be the parent page until it's not so it was so weird because we're like and of course i cursed myself we were like uh uh, oh, we got to add Vimeo support. We got to uh, allow people to embed Vimeo videos in the app. So then in, in the preview, in the iframe preview, you'd see this Vimeo app. And, and I was like, ah, that should be no big deal. Just push to production and I'll do my end on the fly. It'll take two seconds. I just need to change <laughs> one line of code. Yeah. So we do that and the page just infinitely refreshes. <laughs> like, what? So, so we're like, oh, okay like it completely broke and not only did it break in the preview but it actually broke in the real when you loaded in production yeah, yeah in production like so the the contents of the iframe when you load them directly in a page that's like the end product and that was in like infinite loop of refreshing the page 
Yeah. Not not like reloading the page in the browser, but re re-executing the post message, the function in the post message that was re-rendering the, the stuff. Right, which includes refreshing the page. If the if the um, Oh, you're right, it does. Yeah. If the ID that gets sent into post message from the parent doesn't match anything, then it says Oh, it actually does reload the page. It actually yeah. reloads the page, which yeah. was just this infinite reload loop, which made it a little hard to debug, I'll tell you. <laughs> yeah. So sure enough, uh, what's happening is when you embed a Vimeo um, iframe on the page or when you put it, uh, a Vimeo iframe on the page, it's sending post message uh, or it's sending a message event, I should say. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, right, you you, you don't. Like you have to listen for post message on, uh, I think it's on the window and there's no differentiation between who's sending the message. So any, any external code that you include in your page, whether it's jQuery on a CDN or modernizer or anything that's not hosted with, you know, on your domain with everything else. Can send a post message. Could send a post message. Can send a message event. Exactly right. Could could post yeah. a message, I guess. And so what? And that's exactly what happened. So, Vimeo's emitting messages, which is really cool, by the way. That allows you to mm-hmm. listen for uh, messages coming from the video player, and then do stuff based on whether or not it's loaded or whatever. I don't. I didn't look in the docs, but it's really cool that it does that. So yeah, because because it's an iframe, it's always going to be embedded. That's the way that you embed them. So it, you know, you can listen for whatever events they are, but it sends an object out. And so I'm like, looking at this, I'm like, what is sending an object message to post message? But anyway, so inside of post mess, inside of the, uh, on message handler, you just have to listen for the origin. And then based on the origin, you can make decisions about whether or not you should do something or ignore it or whatever. Yeah. Suddenly it became clear why checking that origin is important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on on the other hand, at least there's no like built-in cross-domain restrictions and things that you have to like work around with cores headers and that kind of stuff. So right, right. I, I do. While that's potentially less secure, I I like that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I do. But it it just makes me. I'm like so glad I'm not. I like when stuff like that happens. I'm like I couldn't be on the W3C. <laughs> I would never have thought of that in a million years. So anyway. So that was an interesting little gotcha. Once we figured it out, it took two seconds to fix, but uh, that's those are always the best bugs, I think. Yeah. Cool. Shall we move on to the feature? Uh, yes, let's. Excellent. So we don't usually talk about news, uh, but a few yeah. things happened this week that I think are indicative of a bigger trend that is of great importance to programmers in general, but especially web developers. Uh, so the, the the three big news items are that Pebble, the watch company, released a new watch, or they they put they're a new they're kickstarting a new watch. Yeah, they're kickstarting a new watch called Pebble Time. That's one thing. Uh, Ift launched three um, new applications called Do Apps. One's called Do Button. One's called Do Note, and one one is called Do Cam. And we'll talk about those in a second. And Twilio, our favorite SMS provider, uh, bought a two-factor authentication provider, which means that uh, you can basically out of the box, Twilio will support two-factor authentication, like trivially. You don't have to roll your own anymore. Which is awesome. Mm, so The cool. entire web should use two-factor authentication. Totally. So so check this out. So the, the 
the trend that I'm seeing here, and in fact, the uh, CEO of, of Pebble uh, refers to it in the, on the Kickstarter page that, the, that apps are basically blowing apart, like features that are inside of applications, data features, everything like that, that you'd normally imagine encapsulated in a mobile app as we've come to experience them uh, in 2015, um, are getting even smaller. They're breaking down to their atomic units and just exposing certain functions in different places. Yep. And this is, this will be no surprise to anybody that listens to the show because we talk about this sort of thing all the time. We've done, you know, it excites us. (laughs) It's so cool. It gives you so much more flexibility. It allows you to customize the, I almost don't even want to call it the app experience. It allows you to customize like your world, like the the blur between meat space and cyberspace is getting intense. It's like Lego blocks to just build what you need the internet to do for you. Mm-hmm. And there've been a lot of there've been a lot of things, you know, Yahoo pipes and and even Zapier and Ift kind of like trying, you know, Ift. I think the tagline for Ift is put the internet to work for you. And and there, there are all of these all of these things that you can plug into each other. Lots of things accept API calls now. Lots of things uh, will execute webhooks, so you can kind of send events back and forth between um, these yeah, web I mean, services. At, I mean, look at how many integrations Slack has now, and yeah, yeah, hundreds. And or you go on Zapier; they have like three hundred channels. Yeah. So that's, that's been a trend for a while though. And I don't see a lot of, I don't see tons of use there. I don't see, um, you don't see as much adaptation or I haven't seen as much adaptation as, as I would have thought. And, and where I do see it is people using, using it as kind of like a middle ground to connect a, um, a physical device to a thing on the internet or a physical device to another physical device. Mm Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the that's the end game is that you're be connecting physical devices to each other through these services, and um, but right now, every, like the things that I hear people talking about Zapier and if about and and it's not very many people. I don't I come across people all the time who've never heard of either one, and the things that they tend to talk about are they're just like you know, uh, somebody signed up for a mailing address for, for a, a mailing list on my site. And I also want to pump that into MailChimp or, or uh, not right. just MailChimp, but also into my calendar or it's right. connecting like, to web apps basically. Yeah. Listing, showing our GitHub commits in Basecamp and, and that kind of thing. Exactly. It's like, it's like you're, it's kind of like um, a more robust mashup type situation where you're yeah, taking. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're just kind of squishing together functionality of different web apps. Right. So the, and and, it, and it's a little it's pretty geeky. I have to admit it's it's not uh, the Slack integration actually is the one that seems to be most compelling of any of those so far. Like the GitHub and Basecamp integration, it's interesting. It's pretty cool, but having it in Slack, well, Slack is a whole separate topic. Yeah. But so the the thing that's crazy about these three things, the you know Pebble, Ift, and Twilio, is that the they are all making the well Twilio and Ift specifically are making the plumbing less geeky and more obviously useful. And the Pebble timeline thing uh, is basically gets rid of the notion of apps, or at least marginalizes the notion of apps. So if you talk, if you are familiar with Pebble at all, or if you're not familiar with Pebble, the way it worked before was very much iPod, like old school iPod click wheel, mm-hmm. where you've got, a, you're on a watch face, 
you've got three buttons. You hit the center button and you drill down a level to your list of apps. And then you press the center button once you've selected the one you want with the up and down buttons. And you drill into that app and you can see things or whatever. And so um, and I've found that any kind of drill down is a waste on the watch. You just, you never do it. You, if you can't see the information right on the home screen real fast, gl- like as they say, glanceable. Mm-hmm then you might as well pull out your phone. You might as well pull out your phone. Yeah. The the whole purpose of the watch should be just to a quick glance and see what's going on. Mhm. And and so Google Wear, or sorry, Android Wear from Google mm-hmm. sort of gets this, but they use the they're using the Google Now paradigm where like things of interest to you right now will pop up. And once you dismiss them, there's no way to get them back. Right. And they just miss themselves. So it's just always showing you the next few things that you might be interested in. And that's based on time, but it's also based on proximity. It's based on past behavior. So it's using an algorithm to to pick some, ascent, not random, but it's p- picking stuff that is totally heterogeneous. And just yeah, it's it's interesting, but it's it's not really in your control. <laughs> right. And I, I tend to like it on the phone. I, I like it a lot on the phone because you can just mm-hmm. pull it up and you're like, oh, a bunch of it's like, good job algorithm. There's a bunch of interesting things here. But I never, other than like the first couple cards, like the weather is always one of them. That's where I check the weather. That's the first one. If I have a flight coming up, it'll be in there. So right. it does a good job of what it does. But I think that the the paradigm on the watch doesn't work as well. Um, I think what's, I think better is the way that the glass timeline work, which is a clear inspiration for Pebble, the new Pebble interface. Because mm-hmm. on Google, you know, Google Glass, did I say where again? Google Glass yeah. has a timeline interface. And the there are two things that Pebble Time, it's called the new one, Pebble Time has in common with um, Google Glass, which I think are killer. Great, great. Like they picked the two best things about um, Google Glass to emulate. Yeah. First is the timeline interface where you can you can swipe forward and backward in time, and so so you're always so it's always the same. You know, you can count on what's going to be there. Right. You're gonna you're gonna have the history, and you can scroll back through it. Exactly. And you've got so basically everything has a timestamp. Pretty much. Pretty much everything has some kind of timestamp associated with it. It's either an upcoming event, a past event, something that was created at a particular time, a time that your flight is leaving. Pretty much anything you want on your wrist is going to have some time component to it. Mm-hmm. So you can, um, so like sports scores, if you know there was a game last night, you can be sure that if you scroll back in time on the watch, your sports scores are going to be there. Not true with, with uh, Google Now. Yeah, that's Would, really cool. It's, I love it. I can't wait. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it sounds so simple, and but it it really it makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, it's so obvious, but it's such yeah. a different paradigm. Yeah, and and it's funny because you'd think people that are making smart timepieces would have come up with this before now, but I mean, it it didn't occur to me either. So you know, not not that I'm judging, <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah, it's just it's a great a great sort of format. Yeah, it's 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 one of those head slappers. Like, oh god, I didn't yeah, think of it yeah. either. You know, it makes complete sense. I mean, uh, you know, if I want to know what happened last night, I can just scroll back to last night. You know? right. Exactly. <laughs> right. 
or it happens all the time where I'll be like, uh, it'll happen on, on the existing Pebble interface. I'll get a notification. I'll glance down and look at it. It's not super urgent, but it's, but I want to know more about it. Right. And then I can't get back to it. Sometimes you can, but you have to drill down and then you drill into it. And again, why didn't I just yeah, pull You have to hunt for it. Exactly. Right. So this is way better, way better. And so that's one thing is the timeline. They took the timeline metaphor from Google Glass, which is great. Uh, the other thing they did was, uh, what was the other thing they did? I oh, yes. The other this. thing they did is that, so in order for this to make sense, you kind of have to know how the current Pebble works, which is that you've got the watch connected to a phone, iPhone or Android, and you've got a Pebble app on that phone that me, uh, mediates the Bluetooth communicator. The, there's a Bluetooth connection and it mediates the data going back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it also, on the other side, provides the connection to the internet. Um, so some things you can do directly with just a, a an app that you build for the phone Pebble app. And it, it, you build it with JavaScript and it gets embedded inside of that application. Right. And then when people... And then periodically, Pebble updates that app with all of those little apps inside of it. And then you, when you install it on your phone, now all of those apps are available to be transferred over to the, to the, it's almost like the whole app store is inside the phone app. <laughs> right. So, which is crazy. And it's especially irritating on iOS because you have to wait for iOS to approve the new Pebble app before your app can go live. So it's got like an app store inside of it, essentially. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's annoying. Yeah, I've never used the Pebble with my eye things. So, mm. so there's that, but some applications uh, like Runkeeper and et cetera, there's a million of them. They want to provide extra functionality. Uh, Yelp is another one. I think Facebook also, where you have to have a companion app installed on the phone. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, I've never programmed this. I've programmed the other one, but I haven't programmed this. But the way I understand it, Pebble exposes an API in their application, their Pebble phone app, that you so can... So your app talks to their app. Yes. And which then, then talks to your phone. Right. Which or, might, I mean, talks to your Pebble. Right. I know I do that all the time, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've, and I'm, I'm not sure that's technically correct, but it's basically how it works. You have a companion app on your phone that's like Facebook or Yelp or RunKeeper. Mm -hmm. And somehow it talks through the Pebble app on your phone to the Pebble watch on your wrist. Right. It's not talking to the Pebble directly. Exactly. So, all right. So all that said, the, with the new interface, the, the timeline interface, the, the, the whole notion of apps is much different. It's much more like Android Wear in the sense that you've got this uh, timeline, which is not like Wear, but if, you, if you're looking at an item in your timeline and you click it essentially with the center button then you'll slide over to see a um like a card basically mm -hmm. that's now you're in the app air quotes but it just gives you more detailed view of that that notification if you will so the what's really cool and i'm finally getting around to the point of what's different <laughs> about what they got to from from google glass is that you don't have to have an app installed anywhere on the phone or on the watch you can also install apps on the watch on the old one you don't mm -hmm. have to have an app installed anywhere on the phone or the watch you can inject stuff from the web into the timeline that's pretty awesome yeah so that, remember i love that yeah what, what did the glassware i think it was called the I think so. Um, 
Yeah, glassware. Yeah. Yeah, and and in Google Glass, you could add cards to the timeline by writing essentially an API, and then you'd connect the kind of like OAuth. You'd connect your mm -hmm. glasses to a service, and the service would emit data cards that would show up on in Glass. It was it was oh, I loved. It. That was my favorite part. It's so right. cool. Not a huge glass fan overall, like hardware wise, but that was really cool. And that's what this is. So I cannot wait. Anyway, going on too long about the pedal. The point is that the, uh, that I'm in love with it. <laughs> yeah. The point is John really likes the pedal. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Is, I think it's probably your favorite gadget. Mm. Oh yeah. Hands down. Um, okay, so Pebble is going to be a big deal, but what's bigger, I think, is the the unbundling of the apps and the features coming out of the apps, out of your phone. And uh, the CEO of Pebble, he, he I think a direct quote, uh, he said that we're breaking down the walls of the app container. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so moving right along to the Ift apps. Um, if you're not familiar with if the way it usually works is you pick two channels like Twitter and Gmail or whatever, MailChimp and, and LinkedIn, and each one will have an API and data points exposed. So when events happen in one, you can take, you can pick and choose little data points out of the, um, payload and pump them into the other service. Um, so that's pretty cool, but it does require configuration of both services and, um, it's a little geeky, like we said earlier. So they have these three new apps that just do one thing each, which is so cool. Yeah. I saw your demo, your little demo video that you linked to the night and, and it was cool. Like you just, you have these tiny little apps and you just, you set them up to do the one thing that you want to do. Mm -hmm. Like you make a button that says, okay, button, when I click you do this, you know? Yeah. It's almost like it's almost like the do apps are channels inside of Ift, but they don't even they didn't. I don't know why they didn't do it that way. Actually, yeah. I, I have an idea why they might not. You know, what was the what was the Kickstarter? Well, we were talking about a while back that it literally <laughs> was a button. Yeah, click C L I Q. Yeah, like, it, yeah. It, it, it's like that, but virtual. <laughs> I would not be surprised in the least if Ift puts out a physical button. That would be great. Yeah. So anyway, what, what they did do, uh, I'll, I'll describe do button cause it's the easiest one. The it's, it's literally like, uh, on my Android, there's a home screen widget for it. So it's literally a button on my home screen that you tap it and it says done. <laughs> and what it does in the background is it just, just pings URL and the URL, you can then tell it to do whatever you want. And longtime dear listener will remember that my dog has diabetes and I can, I have the worst time in the world remembering if I gave him both shots every day. So we keep track of it on this piece of paper. And, um, and this is so cool because I could, uh, just open up my phone and press the one button and all the whole thing just puts a, a timestamp in a row in Google sheets. So then I, you know, I leave the house and I, whatever, I'm like, oh, did I give George a shot this morning? I just open up the Google sheet and like, yep, there's a timestamp from this yep, morning. There it is. I yeah. did it or Erica did, somebody did it. There's the timestamp. Uh, so that is, that is super interesting. Um, there are recipes for like, like uh, counting your coffee consumption. Like every time you have a coffee, you press the button. <laughs> um, hilariously, my brother, when his first kid was born, mm -hmm. he, she was like eating so, she just loved bananas. 
Yeah. And they were concerned, like, I don't know if this was a doctor. Concerned about her potassium? Well, she was eating too many bananas. They were like, right. they're like, You're, she's eating too many bananas. So he set up, he actually had me do it, set up a, a website called. Banana counter? <laughs> it called, well, it was called Banometer. <laughs> Banometer, nice. <laughs> Banana meter, basically. Uh, and we ho- we hooked it up to the F5 key on his wife's keyboard. And she, <laughs> she works from home. So every time Emma ate a banana, somebody pressed F5 on the keyboard. And it would send a, essentially, a, a, it would ping the banometer and it would up the count to one. And the banometer count would up. Yes. <laughs> it's exactly so, that. Yeah. In point point of interest or, or maybe non-interest. Um, as, as a very, very young child, I ate so many carrots, I turned orange. <laughs> took me to the doctor they thought i was jaundice and uh, no i just just ate a lot of carrots i wonder if i could get a tan that way yeah i don't know it you know you should, i love might carrots work, but it might work better than the um <laughs> the other <laughs> last experiment <laughs> yes we'll leave that to the dear listener to yeah, research to, to hunt down <laughs> you uh, won't be disappointed well, you, might that. Be, you might be disgusted but not disappointed yeah. <laughs> right um okay so this is super radical. So what what we're doing with the do button or what IFT is doing with the do button is exposing one feature of whatever application you pick pretty much and allowing you to just tap that button. And let me tell you, it makes a huge difference if you don't have to drill in, drill in, drill into an application to get to that spot. You just tap that button. There's no login. There's no nothing. Just like, boom, done. Thanks. And do note and do camera basically the same idea, but with do note you provide it some text first, and it does whatever you want with that chunk of text. You could tweet it, you could set a reminder. I have it send an email to remember the milk to like that's how I can add to dos really easily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm assuming do camera, you give it a picture. Yeah, and then you can just pump the picture into anything. So they're they're saying it's kind of like I mean these are all features that you would normally find inside of lots of applications, and in fact the applications that you'll probably send this information to. So you're like you're probably thinking, yeah. well, duh, why don't I just open up Instagram instead of pumping it through uh, Ift? Not that Instagram would let you do it, but so, yeah. you know Facebook would. Yeah. So like, why don't I just open the Facebook app and do that? Well, because this is like as I almost said way easier which sounds ridiculous because it's so easy to put a photo on Facebook, but this is easier. This is even easier. This is easier. It's faster. Yeah. And it's so, it's like the, the, um, the difference between doing something and not doing something like the, at the level of friction, as low as it is, it can make the difference between positive behavior and and negative Mm -hmm. behavior. It's already easy, but having one button that does it versus, opening the Facebook app and tapping a specific button. You're like, oh crap, I'm not logged in or whatever. Right. So this, it's like, I imagine it, they could release a do cam, like a physical one. I would not be yeah. surprised in the least if, if released physical buttons or they're gearing up for an acquisition by a hardware company like Google is mm-hmm. going to do or drop cam. I think, I think Google just bought drop cam. Somebody yeah, weird. I mean, if, yeah. Nest bought drop cam. I mean, imagine taking a picture and instantly it's on Instagram. Right. Or like plugging in narrative. There's just like, so the, the opportunities blow your mind. And anyway, so the trend though is, is that like these individual features are kind of like popping out on their own, like the key critical features. And if you imagine 
a watch in the mix where you can't do that much stuff anyway, do know it would be perfect for the watch because you just press the button, it, say it your something. note, tell it something, and boom, it's gone. It's off. It's done. You could tell it to add diapers to your remember the milk. Yeah. And it's like, for me, right now, prior to that, the only way I can add a reminder to myself is to open my phone or computer. So if mm-hmm. I'm on the go, that means get phone out of pocket, unlock phone, find app, launch app, possibly log into app, go to correct screen, press tap on the, the field. Now, now I'm finally to the point that's right on my wrist or that yeah. would have been right on my wrist. So now I'm finally all the way into the, the place. I might not have even have made it. Like, oh, I got to cross the street to pay attention, put my phone away, forget, you know, now I just got to remember it. Right. <laughs> Versus hold down button speak. Right. Yep. So it's, it's, you can argue that it doesn't need to be any better, but it is better. It might not need to be. You might disagree that it needs to be any better, but it is a better experience. Um, so, so let's. Well, so, we've, there's, we have a lot of things in our lives that don't, need to be <laughs> you know absolutely yeah yep so having the I, I they don't have a widget on um do the do let's see the do button has a home screen widget for android the other two apps regrettably don't i wish they i wish they had one widget that you could put all the buttons that you wanted right on in one widget mm-hmm. presumably they will but they don't you know on ios there are no home screen widgets and it's like it's it's like noticeably worse on iOS because you're like, oh, I gotta watch the app. Ugh. Yeah. I just want to press the button. Just want to press a button. Yeah. Um, okay. So now check this out. So so <laughs> moving on to Twilio. You were on a roll today. This is uh, this is blowing my mind. It's so <laughs> weird that these things all came out in the same week. But Twilio has this two factor authentication, and it's awesome. This yeah. This excites me because now I'm like, okay, add two-factor authentication to all the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no idea what the pricing is, yeah. but it's it's great. Their, their pricing is so reasonable anyway that it can't be can't be much. Yes, one would think. Um, so that's really cool, and you might think, oh well, that 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 would be good for things that are um, need to be secure, like maybe Dropbox, depending on what you keep in it, or if you know if you use like your, your email, it would be great if. You know, I, I at one time had two-factor authentication turned on Gmail, but it broke all of my integrations, and I have a lot of integrations with Gmail, so I had to turn it off. That explains why my Gmail integration stopped working. Mm. Two-factor auth is a great thing, and now that you know we're approaching like eighty percent penetration of smartphones, and it, this would even work with dumb phones. So we have like, I mean, there's four billion. Is it four billion? I think it's four billion cell Sounds phones right. yeah. in use globally. Um, you know, basically uh, the majority, the vast majority of the adult population could do two-factor auth. Right. So the, the thing and the, that's... And, the, and they're probably a larger majority of the teenage population. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but so the thing that's cool about two-factor auth is you could make it one-factor auth and just use that. Yeah, So could. So let's say you've got a... Um, imagine a setup, if you will, uh, for this physical button in the real world, like click or do button or whatever. How do you log into something, right? So, right. What if you what if you drop your click button? Somebody else picks it up. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, we start clicking in the video. They do they do bring it in the world. Like they they bring it around with them to like open the garage door and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or you know you could imagine every time I have a coffee, I press this button. 
that's attached to, in my pocket or it's on my lapel or something. I don't even have to pull it out. I just press it. And uh, you could actually, if you wanted to, you could say, all right, whenever I press this button, I don't want anybody pressing this button. I just want me pressing this button. Mm-hmm. So you could press the button and then it would send you like uh, an SMS that shows up on your wrist that says, um, okay, uh, triple tap real fast on the button. You know, like it, it says some kind of like only you would know type of thing. Yeah. So, so then you do the pattern or whatever, or you like Morse yeah. code SOS, like Morse code, <laughs> you know. I mean, that's definitely adding a layer of friction, but it's also adding a layer of security. So. Right. So uh, the th- I haven't. Depends on what you want. Right. I haven't completely got my head around it. What I'm seeing is a possibility. There's something there in terms of authentication using the phone instead of user pass in a in a web app. Yeah, and I think there's a there's an immediate um, benefit to physical objects and connected devices aside. There is an immediate benefit to being able to integrate this quickly and, and easily into your web apps. Like when I log into Twitter, I get a text message that I have to enter the code to, to log in. You can you do yep. do things something like that. Yes, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's but there's something there's something there's something that I can't quite get my head around. That oh, you don't mean in addition to the user pass? You mean instead of? Instead of right. So like your phone becomes your login. So you don't like so now imagine I've often thought of changing Kilo's login or join instead of joining with like create, you know, fill out, pick a username. Oh, sorry, that username is taken. Try, you know, okay, great. Oh, that password's not long. Instead of all that, you go to the page, it just says join, asks you for your phone number. You get a text message to your phone. Like, okay, that's, that's you. You have that phone, you know? So like, so like you go in, hit join, you fill in your phone number, hit join, you get a text message. You respond to the text message with yes, or whatever the text message tells you to do. Mm Mm-hmm. Now that phone number has an account, a Kilo account. So any SMS I send from that phone doesn't need to log into anything. Right. It's just, and you can spoof that. Yes, I know there's security problems there, but uh, it's, but there's also security problems with like email password recovery. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like Kilo has like great security. It's like a typical garden variety web app type of thing. Right, where you've right. Got, and there's like, no reason you couldn't encrypt those phone numbers in your database. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But that that's, I mean, you can spoof a from number when you're sending yeah. that SMS if you really wanted to, like, Yeah, but I mean, someone has, to ha- someone has to have the from number before they can spoof it. Absolutely, yep. And they would need, I mean, they would need to know, um, yeah, they would have to somehow, I mean, a lot of people know your phone. I mean, the problem with it is a lot of people know your phone number. Yeah, so, but a lot more people know my email address than know my phone number. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it, it's not 100% secure. It's just, like, one possible case. The other way you could do it is, say, um, uh, is do the normal two-factor authentication way where you go in, and instead of create even like don't even bother with the username and password just type in your phone number it sends you a code on your phone which which for me shows up on my wrist so like whenever I log into Twitter I, I have the same thing with that you have two-factor auth I'm on my computer I log into Twitter it sends me a code I look at my wrist I can see the code I don't have to pull my phone out yeah I type in the code and I'm in so you could just leave the username and password part of that off if you didn't care and just be like, okay, t- you know, text, uh, whatever, just mm-hmm. join. It texts you one, two, three, four, five. You type one, two, three, four, five. And okay, now you've you've proven that you own that phone. And now every time you go to log in, instead of um, instead of doing the user password thing at all, you just do 
that. You just go in and you could, you go to the site and uh, it sends you a code on your wrist and you type it in every single time. You wouldn't even time. have to have the site send you a code. You could go to the site and then pull out your phone and send the site a text message and it could automatically log you in. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the reverse. That's the one that's less secure. The, 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 yeah. But either way, in fact, I don't know if we talked about it on the phone, but I was playing with the idea on the of... Podcast. Yeah, we did a long time ago. <laughs> on the podcast. Exactly. On the watch. Did we talk about it on the watch? No, no, we didn't. Uh, we talked about it on the toaster, though. I see. No wonder. Um, <laughs> I just had a picture of, like, toast slowly being printed and coming out of the <laughs> toaster. With... Not Matrix toast. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Tractor feed toast. Um, yeah. But, yeah, a while back, I Trust. think we talked about it. Sorry. What? It's like the tractor feed, really, like the crust of the bread. And yeah, you like break it off. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, we talked about something called no pass, I think I was calling it. Yeah. Um, which was exactly that. Just log in with your phone. Like you don't never create a user account. It's like everything that happens happens against the phone number. And you, you never, because SMS has identity baked in. Because mm-hmm. you don't share your phone with people. And it's got this. Uh, this like unique ID and yeah, it's guessable and yeah, it's spoofable, but for a trivial application like that, it's, it's not, I don't know. I just think it's not that bad. Anyway. Um, there's something there though. There's like the, the, that authentication piece being sort of free floating and SMS enabled, I think is a really interesting way to enable, uh, physical devices that just have this one trick pony feature that, um, to have some authentication. Yeah. That, some security. That needs yeah. some kind of authentication. Yeah, but there too, I mean, you can make the argument, if you're going to have to pull out your phone and answer an SMS anyway, what's the point of having the one button? If you do, right, if you did have to pull out your phone, but that's not, that's the way two-factor auth works now. It asks you for a number, but that doesn't have to be the yeah. input. The input, like, for example, the uh, the Hue lights, the way you prove that you've got the, that you're allowed to configure the Hue lights is it gives you like 15 seconds to hold down the button on the base station. So that that's two factor auth. Basically, you're proving that you have that in your in your possession, and so you could yeah. do a similar thing where you've got like the 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 you press the button or whatever, like you press the do button or the click, and then in the real world or in your pocket, whatever, and um, an instruction. It doesn't have to be a number, but an instruction shows up on your wrist. And it says, you know, basically like press the button three times in rapid succession to complete this request. Or whatever. I don't. I'm like just making things up now. But, but there. It feels like there's. There's going to have to be a way for some of this real world stuff to have some kind of security situation. Yeah, but I kind of. I mean, when you link them in the first place, doesn't that kind of take care of it? I mean, unless we're talking about things getting stolen or lost or, or or in someone accessing your stuff. I mean, I I think the the initial sort of pairing process that happens pretty much takes care of making sure your data is not going to go to someone else. Sort of. Okay, here's a situation. Remember the pizza button? Yeah. I don't want Cooper to just sit there with his elbow on the pizza button. <laughs> right. So or Maggie to come in and pick it up and start... Just chewing on it, right. Chewing on it, yeah. So I could imagine a situation where uh, I, go, I go to the pizza button and press it once to get my pattern, and the pattern is sent to my wrist, and then I do the pattern. Because it won't go to his wrist. Like, he could press oh, it once, I see, and yeah. I would get a pattern. Oh, I see. So it could be, like, a different pattern each time. and Right. And you could just, like, tell by the vibrations on your wrist what mm-hmm. you needed to do on the button. 
Right. Oh, yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's that'd be us. awesome. Send a yeah. vibration to the match the vibration. God, that's cool. <laughs> that's not that's not Twilio's person. Well, yeah, I guess right. it would send you. I don't know. Yeah, uh, that mm. would be wild. So that's uh, I think that's super interesting. I also on that same topic of of authentication, I noticed recently that um, one of the apps, one of the banking apps on my phone, has integrated Touch ID, which I did not think Apple had opened. So I can now log into my Amex app on my phone with Touch ID. I don't know if that's good or scary. Uh, I like it. <laughs> um, and I, I don't think they, I didn't think they opened that API to third-party developers. I think it's a special deal with Amex. Hmm. But perhaps they did, which now, okay, so follow my logic here. Same kind of thing where you've got the pizza button. But pizza button only works for your fingerprint. Pizza button only work. Well, the pizza button would be from some third party and it wouldn't have it. You don't want to put a fingerprint sensor on everything because that would True. be too expensive. True. So the pizza button, you just press it and I get a notification on my Apple Watch. And if Apple Watch had a thumbprint sensor on it, I would take my right hand thumb and put it on the watch of my left hand and that would authorize the pizza button. <laughs> yeah. Or so, you could you could do um like voice authentication or, or anything. Yeah, voice is interesting. That There's, Cooper doesn't sound like you. <laughs> that's for sure. So I think it's a clear trend of this sort of like 2008 through 2015 style home screen app is the trend has been, they started out monolithic like Facebook. We just had to like, remember Facebook had a million icons on its own screen mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you could do all these different things. It was, it was you log into Facebook and it was like looking at another home screen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and it's over time, it's, they're breaking out the features as individual applications. They're experimenting with mm -hmm. things. Some of them worked, some of them didn't. Um, but they're breaking out individual functionality into discrete applications because the launch process takes a couple seconds. So if you're going to wait for that launch process every single time you want to do one simple thing and then you got to navigate around to get to where you want to go, why not expose that as its own application on the home screen like Messenger application or yeah. Instagram? They're not going to put Instagram inside of Facebook. That would be insane. Right. <laughs> so anyway, so I think I think the trend's going to continue where you take the, the key features, the core features out of the application and put them either directly on the home screen or in new places like a watch where even even a pared down mobile application is way overkill on a watch. Yeah. So I, I just think this trend is picking up steam. And yeah, and that's that's one of the things I really like about Pebble's philosophy. And Pebble's philosophy is we're, we're not going to replace your smartphone. Mm -hmm. We don't need to do the things your smartphone already does. Mm -hmm. So what, what would be the point? <laughs> yeah. Use your phone for those. Right. Yeah. He's like, And he is, I think, a clear dig at... Uh, Apple, Apple, the Apple yeah. Watch, he says, apps, you don't want apps on your wrist. It's the wrong no. metaphor. And he also, digging at Android Wear, um, he's like, you don't want, you don't want more distraction. You don't want to be more distracted. You want to be less distracted. Yeah. Yeah. Apps on your wrist, all that does is create a an, an uncomfortable and bad user experience for using that app. <laughs> it doesn't help you any. Right. They say right in the Android Wear documentation for app developers, for the human interface guidelines, uh, they say, you know, if if it takes more than two seconds to get something done on your wrist, you're going to pull out your phone. Yeah. So you need every interaction to be, in my opinion, well under two seconds. 
And that's been my experience, like messing around with stuff. Like I toyed with being able to enter calories on my, um, on, on my Pebble app. Mm-hmm. It's a pain in the ass. You, it's totally not worth it. It, it would let, it, let's say it takes you 30 seconds. I could have my phone out, have the operation done and back in my pocket in half that time. Yeah. But now that there's a microphone on the pebble and I've got the command line interface and voice recognition, I could say, you know, press the button, say log 300 calories of bagels. Done. Boom, done. Yeah. So very interesting. That seems like a lot of bagel. <laughs> oh, you kidding? Bagels are big. I don't know. I, I, I rarely eat bagels. Calorie intensive. But that might be why I rarely eat bagels. 300 is actually low. They're usually more like oh, 400. Oh, wow. I know. Yeah. That's why you got to write them down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that's probably enough rambling. Probably so. You're going to have fun editing this. Yeah. Well. <laughs> All right. That's our show for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Kelly Shaver. And we hope you join us again next week for the 150th Mitch Podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>